Shrinkwrap Radio number 791, Neil D. Brown, LCSW, on family mental health during the time of COVID. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrinkwrap Radio. Radio. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave. For the past four years or so, we've been dealing with a pandemic that has had an enormous impact on our political, social, and family lives. My guest today is Neil D. Brown, LCSW, and he's a psychotherapist, author, speaker, and management consultant based in Santa Cruz, California. He's particularly qualified to shine a light on the issues affecting families during this unprecedented time. Now, here's the interview. Neil D. Brown, welcome back to Shrinkwrap Radio. David, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, I say welcome back because I believe that this might be your third appearance on the show. And previously, we've spoken about your groundbreaking, groundbreaking book, uh, Ending the Parent-Teen Battle. And twice we discussed, uh, we discussed, <laughs> interesting slip of the tongue there, discussed it. We discussed preventing parental burnout. Mm-hmm. And that may involve disgust, as a matter of fact. So yeah, right. Where my slip came from. Yeah. So I also want to take this opportunity to thank you for being a, a longtime financial supporter of Shrinkwrap Radio. And uh, I have to say that your, your faithfulness in that and generosity has really helped to keep my fires burning. And so here I am all these uh, years later, still doing this. Yeah. Uh, So, and I think it is important when you provide a service like you provide for our therapeutic community that, uh, that we all do our part to say thanks and let's keep it going. Good. I appreciate that. And I've wanted to have you back on the show for some time. And, And then it really hit me that you are the perfect person to, uh, talk about explore the impact of this pandemic that we've been in for four years and maybe more we don't know so Mm. i'm wondering what's been the impact of the pandemic on your own life um on on my life my wife eileen and i have gotten off really easy Um, Our two sons are emancipated, independent, and doing uh, very well for themselves in in their lives. 
And, and so we weren't raising kids. Um, I've already uh, been Zooming uh, with clients all across the country uh, prior to uh, leaving the office and, and, everyone, uh, and everyone Zooming as an alternative to in-person uh, counseling. So that was not a significant uh -huh. shift for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so other than really missing our kids and missing our friends, we set up uh, in the in the in the good weather and even in the marginal weather, we set up a heater in the backyard and uh, nice. and and uh, had our friends over for uh, with social distancing and uh, and backyard entertainment for uh, when, when permitted and, uh, and now things are easing up and, uh, we've, you know, been able to be with our children and be with our friends again. And, uh, with vaccinations and boosters, uh, you know, life has, uh, become better. It's not yeah. entirely normal, but it's a heck of a lot better. So thanks for asking. We're, we did, we did great. Well, that's, that's great. Um, uh, we made out not quite as well. Um, we had a family Christmas uh, soiree at, mm -hmm. at my daughter's house, and uh, four of us ended up coming down with uh, the latest version of the pandemic. Aye. And it wasn't uh, very long lasting. It wasn't all at the same time. It was sort of sequential. Mm -hmm. I got it. My wife got it two of our adult sons got it, mm. but we're all over it now. And uh -huh. it wasn't, it wasn't that quotes that bad. Um, uh -huh. well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that yeah. you, uh, that you got a version that you, your body could manage. Excellent. Yeah, me too. Um, and so, so many have you? died. We've lost so many, uh, so, so many, people and uh and and people have gotten uh sick and uh with uh long uh i forget to call it long-term covid and yeah you know there are a lot of horror stories out there so I'm, I'm really glad that yours is not one of those yeah me too me too and so has it impacted your family therapy practice you seem to suggest that maybe it hasn't that you are already operating in a in a mode that is well adapted to the situation yeah so it, the the impact it's had has really been on the families and the children teens young adults that i'm working with i this pandemic has really impacted families in in very profound ways in lots of stages of family development of child, adolescent and young adult development has all been significantly impact for so many kids. Yeah, well, talk about, uh, you mentioned a lot of categories there, maybe you can kind of break it down and, and uh, talk about some of those. Yeah, so if you think about it, you know, so many kids were not going to school, and they were having yeah. uh, virtual school, but certain kids and certain age groups are not terribly inclined to watch a screen all day. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of kids who aren't comfortable sitting in a classroom with their butt in a chair all day, let alone mm -hmm. at, at home watching a, a screen all day. And 
parents are now, you know, then the parents were working from home and they're trying to work and then they're trying to help their kids do what they think their kids are supposed to do. And, um, and it, it just becomes an awful lot of uh, parental struggle, kids not learning, kids not socializing, kids not getting their needs met, parents not able to do what they need to do. And, uh, and it, it's just been a, a horror story for many, many kids and families. Yeah, you now, talk about kids not socializing. And uh, I've come to realize that our brains are to some degree, fairly large degree, I think, uh, socially constructed that um, to maintain our thought processes, etc., social stimulation and, and contact, even beyond the screen is helpful, but it's not the same thing as in person. Absolutely true. We are social animals. Yeah. And we're designed to live in communities, tribes, if you will. And uh, when that's taken away from us, and now we're now we're not only in our nuclear family, but we're isolated within the silo of our nuclear family, which is sometimes four people, uh, three people. Um, Eight people. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, eventually we get on each other's nerves. Yeah. Um, and we and we don't have those escape valves uh, to burn off some energy, get our needs met in different ways, in different places. And it becomes a very difficult thing. Yeah. And I'm also thinking that there are developmental stages that kids, going back to kids, that kids go through and... Um, those developmental stages are being messed with, have been messed with big time by, uh, by the social isolation, by uh, either going to school virtually or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, I, just to be fair, uh, David, uh, some kids and families, some teens and families um, have done very well. Yeah. And, uh, and, and why have, have they done very well? Well, you know, certain kids who maybe, I mean, this is a little weird, but some kids who are maybe spectrum and, and have a hard time socializing and they could just be home and doing what they do on the computer and, uh, and uh, having their recreation on gaming. Huh. Uh, they were in, uh, they, they were in heaven. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then there were other kids who certainly missed a lot of, uh, social engagement and, and, and time and activities, but did their best. They did online dance class or, or music class and kept up with things. And they had a lot of parental resources and support for such things, uh, uh, and, and maybe created social pods with families that had agreed that they wouldn't uh, expose themselves unnecessarily outside of the pod. So certain families and certain kids with certain kinds of special needs and other kids without special needs, but very resourced, those families and those kids 
did very well during this period of time. And I don't think lost too much. Yeah. Other kids lost socially, they lost emotionally, and they lost academically. And parents uh, lost years. Because <laughs> if we talk about parental burnout, they really, really struggled. And it was it was extremely, really difficult. It was extremely difficult for them. And then if you think about the dynamic that I wrote about in my book, ending the parent team control battle, boy, did I see some control battles. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. yeah. So that those negative patterns of interaction that certain kids and families were inclined towards got significantly worse during uh, these periods of virtual learning and uh, and um, sequestering yeah. of the of the, yeah, of the kids and yeah, um, quarantining. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's both, but it, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of loss as a result of this pandemic. You know, one of the groups, David, that I think suffered um, enormously is the young adult population, those kids that were going off to college. Yeah. And uh, and then got to college and they either sat in their dorm room uh, and were trying to do virtual. They couldn't quite figure out how to be social because uh, there were so many rules about it and how to be. Um, many came home and uh, I have this uh, saying, uh, which is God makes 18 year olds obnoxious. So you won't be too sad when they go off to college, <laughs> but then they went off to college at home and their obnoxiousness was still with them. And you can't tell me what to do. Cause I'm at college now. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, some of whom became depressed and uh, in their rooms, often sometimes with substance abuse uh, behaviors and issues and uh, or gaming addictions. Uh, some kids who would go out um, against their parents' wishes and, and bring risk back into the family. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of young adult uh, trauma to the kids and to their families as a result of, uh, of the, um, what we had to give up as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, I'm thinking that there's probably a spectrum of, of uh, health or distress in families, that some families are, um, uh, the, the adults in the family are all psychologically fit and, and well-balanced and, and consequently, their kids have good resources and modeling all the way to families that are very dysfunctional or and also who are stressed by a lack of financial resources, uh, minority families uh, that are already dealing with issues of uh, inequality and so on. 
so there are some people that are set up well for resilience and their kids are set up for resilience exactly and others who are even without the pandemic have been struggling and this pandemic just has to exacerbate the situation i think it has indeed and i think that we're we're speaking about that kind of social economic divide that in our in our country keeps getting worse and uh, and so uh, minority communities um, definitely take the brunt of uh, social um, uh, environmental um, dilemmas such as uh, such as we have with the pandemic. Yeah. Right. So when you know when there is inflation, who suffers the most? When there's a di- when there's a recession, who suffers the most? When there's layoffs, who suffers the most? Uh, and with climate change, who suffers the most? And so with this pandemic, it's exactly the same. Who suffers the most? Those right. who aren't don't have uh, the resources in the bank and underneath them and in their communities. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, for for many families, it's. Uh, or maybe for all of us, you know, it's highlighted issues around death and illness. Um, I think so many of us know people who uh, who have gotten sick, who may even have, as you say, long-term, uh, mm-hmm. long-term COVID issues. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so I'm wondering, in your practice, have have you had to have conversations and discussions with people who uh, young people, older people who are dealing with issues of of, of loss and death? I have not. I the you know the population I work with um, is you know children, teens, young adults, and families. Uh, I do have friends who have lost parents. Uh, I have uh, f- um, f- friends who have uh, long haul uh, and have experienced and are experiencing that. Uh, one one thing I have uh, uh, experienced is a divide within nuclear family between parents about uh, whether or not to follow uh, guidelines or not whether we're going to get vaccinations or not, whether or not we're going to uh, mask or not. So that's, you know, that's a, uh, a social ill that has reared its ugly head in the, in, in the wake of this pandemic. And I, that's been quite a, a, a trauma for families to have to negotiate. As a therapist, how do you uh, help families through that, help couples through that uh, internal divide in their system? Well, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I was really stumped when I first got presented with it because, you know, I'm, uh, I'm strong leaning on following the government guidelines. And, uh, and I saw nothing... I didn't lose anything significant by wearing a mask. And I believe that even if I think that I have a very strong immune system and I'm fine, if I get COVID, I'll do fine with it. 
I don't want to be a carrier and give it to someone else who's going to be less fine with it. So I have a strong value on we need to take care of ourselves and each other. And so we need to follow the guidelines and we need to deprive this uh, this uh virus of a host and if the if the virus doesn't get a host it can't mutate and it can't grow and it can't um and it can't spread so i feel very strongly about that and so when i was confronted with clients who are uh presenting another point of view which is uh this is a hoax it's it's being played on us by china the democrats are supporting it and you know we can't have the government telling us what to do and they're going to put microchips in our bodies and all this other stuff that I consider nonsense. I have to go back and say, okay, what, what's my job as a therapist here? Yeah. What is my job? Yeah. And my, my, my job is to help people get clear about their priorities and how to talk to each other, how to care about each other and and how to relate in a way that's healthy it's not to come down on one side or the other of any argument you know i don't yeah. i i don't advocate one kind of parenting over another kind of parenting short of uh abuse i i um i do uh i i do want to help families remember what they care about most and that they care about each other and they care about the welfare of their family and their leadership within that family and ways to manage differences between uh, parental points of view. So of that, that became that, my focus. Yeah. And that's actually, I've always been impressed by people who do family therapy because that's definitely a skill that any family therapist needs to develop to be able to not take sides and the, this strong pull often with within the therapist, I think as a human being is, Hey, this person's really likable. This person seems obnoxious. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and to not, and for you as a therapist to somehow remember that center place that you are committed to come from. Right. I have to see this unit as my client, not any individual Ah. within that unit. Yeah. You know, if you're a family therapist, you think, where does the problem live? Does it live inside of a person or does it live in the space between us? Yeah. And you've been a family therapist for how long? Uh, For my entire career. Uh, So that's what drew me to family therapy. Uh, that's what drew me to psychotherapy was the idea of family. And uh, I had been a, a teacher in South in Southern Colorado near the New Mexico border in the San Luis Valley. And I was working with, um, I was working with children and, and teens and young adults in a, in a school for, uh, developmentally delayed uh, children, teens, and young adults, because it's so rural that it takes every age group. And in working with those families, in those kids, I went out and visited the families of those kids, many of whom were impoverished and lived in little shacks way out 
in the country and with very minimal resources, very impoverished uh, Latino uh, kids. Uh, There's a very interesting population there. I could talk about that another time. But uh, what I realized is when I talked to the parents and I said, boy, we love having your kid in school in broken Spanish. And they told me in English, in broken English, that they felt like uh, they, they were thrilled to, to know I cared. And suddenly those kids did better in school. They, they, did, they were, they were respect, more respected and taken care of in their home. And they, uh, and they were no longer a source of uh, embarrassment to their parents. They were, then uh, the parents would come to potlucks. And when the kids went to the Special Olympics, uh, they were proud of their of their children and their ability to do that. And uh, and it made just a, a huge difference in the in the behavior and the life and the learning of these children. And so I thought, wow, I feel kind of like a country doctor, except yeah. I'm not a doctor. It just yeah, felt, yeah. you know, really rewarding for me as a young 20 year old, 20 something year old. And so then I discovered there was a field of study called family therapy. And then I was trying to just figure out how I would learn about this field of study. And there was the University of Denver Graduate School of Social Work had family therapy one and family therapy two in its curriculum. And I said, this is for me. <laughs> so I went and took that and eventually uh, spent a month at the Philadelphia Child Guidance Center in, in uh, Philadelphia with, uh, when, in, when Sal Mnuchin was the director. Uh, I, uh, I went to structural family therapy trainings up and down the West Coast where I was working. And, uh, and I even had some time with Carl Whitaker. And of course, the Palo Alto uh, uh, Mental Research Institute, it was right near where I was living in California. And so I would do trainings with them. Uh, which I think has some of the most brilliant minds in psychotherapy of all time. And, uh, and so I was a student of all that and I've just remained uh, yeah. a student. And, and my book in, in fact is a, is a development from all those schools of thought. I, I really owe that, that, uh, that time of psychotherapy development um, everything to my career. It's been so rewarding for me. Yeah, you really have a rich uh, foundation uh, to, to call upon because not only were you in the process of developing during that time, but the field really was in its developmental infancy in some ways and, you, and going into its adolescence and you uh, got to be part of that and, and live through that. I was a great beneficiary of all that creative thinking of that time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, you haven't mentioned uh, being a grandparent. Are you, uh, you and your wife, are you grandparents yet or not? I suspect we will be in the next few years. My, uh, my older son, Daniel, is getting married this fall. And I think he and his bride-to-be are thinking in those terms. Uh-huh. Well, good. Yeah. You buy a four-bedroom house. I, I guess you're thinking that you're going to have kids. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I, I am a grandparent, uh, 
at this point, you know, uh, a rather unexpected surprise grandparent ah. that uh, ended up being, uh, we have seven grandchildren. And so uh, I have to say that's been a sustaining thing for me um, and my wife, the, our feelings for our grandkids and, and uh, it adds another uh, dimension of richness to life. But I'm wondering, um, you know, going back to the effect of the pandemic and so on, that grandparenting is somehow affected by all of this. And have you had any experience of that in the work that you've been doing? Have you been talking to grandparents or hearing about issues between parents and grandparents or kids and their grandparents? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm, you know, what I've experienced is a lot of grandparents functioning in primary caregiving, primary parenting roles. So yeah. I've seen grandparents come live with their children and uh, and providing care for the families, uh, raising the, their grandchildren and providing support for the parents. Um, and it's also been an escape valve. Grandparents have been an escape valve for kids and, uh, and, and parents as well, if they live uh, nearby. Uh, that's been, you know, that's been a, a, a change that's happened. Yeah, I, I know that uh, often grandparents uh, were not expecting to raise another family. They thought mm -hmm. they were done. Yeah. <laughs> but the economy is such, and, uh, and, and along with the pandemic, has kind of shifted that, and they find themselves in that role unexpectedly. Yeah, well, I've seen uh, with young adults in particular, when they and their parents are really struggling and uh, at each other's throats, that they'll often go live with their grandparents. And young adults are a little more uh, um, solicitous of their grandparents' needs and than yeah. they are of their of their parents right. needs so yeah. they'll go live with their grandparents and go to college online so they'll have a bedroom and go to college but they're a little more respectful and solicitous of the grandparents limits and needs yeah. than they will be of their own parents yeah what a great resource uh that uh families have benefited from i think what you said it before we are designed to be uh, socially engaged and our brains work best when we're socially engaged. So when we limit, when we shrink down our, our, our social environment so that we don't have that breadth and that depth, it really hurts us. And having grandparents, aunts, uncles, uh, neighbors uh, that we can rely on, uh, the school communities. I mean, school communities are so important. And uh, and then there's sports teams and sports communities and all kinds of things and equestrian communities. There's communities of everything and music communities. And those communities are so important to people. When we deprive, when we, we lose those, we lose, we, we lose ourselves. Yeah. Um, uh, was it uh, Willie Nelson's line? Um, or no, Jerry Jeff Walker, I missed myself while you were gone. 
that's that's a good yeah. line. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, maybe the pandemic in some ways has and seems strange to talk about this this way, but maybe it bestows some gifts as well. And one of the gifts has been, in some cases, to drive us back to an earlier kind of time when families were extended families, and there was more of of that uh, a built-in interdependence between family members. And then in the American dream, at least, were dominated by images of independence and mm-hmm. breaking away from all those drags on our independence, you know. But this is forcing us back to uh, to a rediscovery of of uh, some of the joys and benefits of being in closer contact with people that we're related to. Yeah, I yeah, I I think it, being isolated from the, those broader relationships um i think we've come to realize how or some of us have come to realize how important they really are to us and those that have benefited have been able to benefit from those relationships have once again rediscovered how important those relationships are and how valuable our elders are to us and uh how important they are to families and yeah i i think there's i think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we should keep our eyes open for the for the uh, possible silver linings in yeah. the <laughs> in the clouds yeah. here. Yeah, and and they are there, and there've been remarkable uh, instances of that that one learns about in the news or or hears about one way or another of uh, small communities that have come together. Uh, either around artistic pursuits or music or uh, other, or as you say, dance, some other things like that. Um, yeah. I was on your website and I see that uh, during the period that we've not been in contact with one another, you've become a podcaster. Mm. And, but then it's been a long time since we've been in, in contact with each other. Cause I've, uh, I, I, I podcast most, mostly weekly and i've got uh over 200 podcasts so it's obviously been a while since we've been connected but yes i have my podcast healthy family connections what what led you to make the decision to uh to, to become a podcaster um that's a good question you know i'm in uh, I'm like yourself, David, I'm in those years of my career where I want to, I'm just thinking about adding value. I just, there's some things from that whole period of my therapeutic development of family therapy and, uh, and the whole concept of change from the Palo Alto Mental Research Institute and brief therapy. There's so much that I, I'm carrying, and I, I'm just not seeing it in the current population of of young therapists who are thinking much more about attachment theory they're thinking about trauma they're thinking about which are all completely legitimate things to think about you know they're thinking about uh social equality and and inequality and gender spectrum issues and uh you know neurodiversity 
boy, do I care about those issues. They are really, really important, but I'm, um, I'm concerned that we're forgetting to think about the human experience in, in, in our family environments and what change really means and how you create change in families and, and in individuals. And so uh, I developed this podcast as an opportunity to help families and help therapists help families with a point of view of how you change a homeostatic dysfunctional situation, how you create change and shift the whole dynamic of that, of that's, you know, that relates to the, 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 um, uh, the identified problem. Uh, you know, we've always talked about the IP as the identified right. patient. Yes. Uh, and so when families, when parents write me, they're writing about their, their, their difficult child or adolescent or young adult or their difficult spouse. <laughs> and th they don't fully understand their role in maintaining the pattern of interaction with their child or their, or their spouse. Yeah. And so how to create a shift in the thinking and in the behavior. So I outline uh, some ways to think about the problem and then a, a set of interventions that can actually shift a problem. That sounds wonderful. And so on your website, you actually solicit people to submit a problem that can then become the focus of, uh, of the website, uh, of the of my uh, podcast, podcast yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, and uh, I know, I don't know how often you bring in an, an outside guest. One of the episodes that I listened to, you brought somebody else in. Is that a thing you regularly do or just some of the time? Um, mostly uh, I have um, done my own work. I've I've taken the problem that the person has sent me and I've created my own analysis and thought, done my own brain racking and then got my bullet points and did my podcast. Very recently, I've had a, uh, an associate who's a parent of young adult children, Robin Holland, uh, join me so that it can be more conversational, much like we're having today. Right. Um, it often was taking me um, six hours to create a 20 minute podcast. And, uh, and I was getting a little exhausted from that. And plus my energy comes up in interacting with others. And so when I'm just in my own head thinking about things and I got my bullet points and I'm reporting about things, I'm a little more boring. Right. Than I, <laughs> That's <laughs> why I've been, been doing it around guests all these years. Uh huh. And uh, I think I've probably done about a thousand at this point. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, so this is a, a, a way for both of us to keep our brains stimulated with some interaction uh, going on. So, yeah. so tell us again, the name of your podcast, because uh, uh, I may lose some listeners in your direction, but it sounds like it would be a good thing for them. Yeah. Um, 
I certainly wouldn't want to compete. I think, uh, I think enriching, and I think both podcasts are wonderful. Um, my my uh, podcast is called Healthy Family Connections, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can get Healthy Family Connections, and I'd, I'd love to have uh, more listeners. So yeah. feel free to come, you all. I'd okay. love to have you. Yeah, and that's, that's a great title, too. Yeah. You know, one thing I haven't mentioned, I think, in going back to our original question about how has the pandemic affected kids and families, I've been seeing teenagers and young adults looking about 12 to 24 months younger than I'm used to seeing that. So I'm seeing 15-year-olds that look and act socially more like 13-year-olds. Yes. Um, seen this I'm, in our own family, I have to say. Uh-huh. Uh, young adults who are clearly not embracing their young adulthoods that are uh, that look a lot more like uh, difficult 16 or 15 year olds. Uh, and so I think that's one thing that we have to think about as a therapeutic community is that when we are getting kids, teens and young adults, they might be experience, they might be presenting as much younger than they are. And we have to take into consideration the impact of the pandemic on their social emotional development. Yeah, they become developmentally arrested. In a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, uh, it, I think we'd make a mistake to over diagnose necessarily. And really, I, I think what we want to prescribe is a lot of maturational opportunity for these kids and to believe in them and to say, you know what, you're capable of more. So let's support you in doing more. Let's resource you in, do in doing more. And let's get you believing in yourself. Let's get your parents believing in you. Um, because I'm a professional and I can see you've got it. And now we just need to help it emerge, as opposed to, uh, and we have to be very, very mindful not to pathologize uh, this regression or lack of development. I'm really glad you got that point in here. And uh, this might be a good place for us to wrap it up with that good, strong point. So family therapist, Neil D. Brown, thanks for being my guest again on Shrinkwrap Radio. David, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. For my money, today's guest, Neil D. Brown, LCSW, is the ideal family therapist. I say this in part because of his 40-plus years of family practice in the field. Beyond that, however, is the fact that he got to train in multiple approaches with the founding giants of those approaches. I'm referring here to his training under Dr. Salvador Mnuchin in the Structural Family Therapy Approach, which looks at the structure of a family unit and how to improve the interactions between family members. I'm also thinking of his training in brief therapy at the Mental Research Institute, MRI, in Palo Alto, California, from which he evolved his own highly actionable therapeutic model for helping families 
transform out of unhealthy family patterns. His studies at the MRI would have brought him into the intellectual hothouse of such seminal figures as Don Jackson, Jay Haley, Gregory Bateson, and Virginia Satir, among others. I use the term hothouse advisedly because this was a period of intense intellectual ferment. The field of family therapy was in its adolescence, and my guest, Neil Brown, is a product of that formative time. Given his deep roots and long tenure in family therapy, I was interested to get Neil's perspective on the impact of the COVID pandemic on American families. In short, it has impacted everything. It's been least disruptive on those families that are already strong in terms of the bonds between family members and their psychological and financial resources. And of course, it's been hardest on those families who were already struggling with all those issues that confront those on the margins of society relating to employment, personal safety, mental and or physical disability, prejudice, and so on. In general, parents have faced multiple challenges during sequestration, including how to keep their kids safe, how to educate them, and how to discuss the present realities of disabling illness and death. Children have had to suffer isolation from peers, the sense of an uncertain world, and disrupted education. For some families, there's been a bit of a silver lining in terms of discovering their resilience and in some cases going back to the positive interdependence of the extended family. So much of the American myth has stressed independence with a corollary focus on the isolated nuclear family. During COVID, some members of extended families have been pulled into the same domicile. Grandparents have emerged as a needed and valued resource. Neil Brown emphasized kids from the young ones all along the scale to the older ones have been missing out on some of the developmental challenges and learnings associated with each developmental stage. I was struck by his observation that he's finding many kids in the families he works with seem to be a year or two younger than their chronological age. As a good family therapist, he humanely urges that it's important not to blame them, but rather to assure them that they are smart, loved, and valued, and to provide them with the growth opportunities needed for their maturity. I encourage you to tap into Neil D. Brown's wisdom by going to his website at www.neildbrown.com. You'll find links to his podcast there, Healthy Family Connections, where you'll be able to post your own family conundrums if you wish. I also highly recommend his book, Ending the Parent-Teen Control Battle, which provides an overview of his approach that will help you whether you have teens or not. Hi, Dr. Dave. It's Adam from Melbourne, Australia. I've been a long-time listener for over seven years, and finally I think it's time to back up my appreciation of Shrink Wrap Radio with a donation. You provide such a wonderful, stimulating podcast, and you deserve to have this supported financially by your loyal listeners like me. And you're right. 
donating to Shrink Wrap Radio made me feel great. So I encourage other listeners to donate and keep supporting your unique podcast. Thanks, Dr. Dave. Thank you, Adam, there in Melbourne. I appreciate your report that you finally felt compelled to become a donor. Thanks for encouraging others to get that great feeling you did after doing so. And of course, thank you to all you other monthly supporters. Your regular donations mean so much to me. Are you aware that I put out a monthly newsletter in conjunction with the Jung podcast? It's totally free, and I'll even send you an audio file of a dream talk I gave years ago at the University of New Hampshire. In the newsletter, there's even a recap of my favorite podcast of the month, as well as a blog post from my UK collaborator, Isabella Clark, journalist and Oxford grad, as well as announcements of various opportunities. To sign up, just go to shrinkwrapradio.com and scroll down the home page until you come to the green sign-up form. And with that, it's time to shrink wrap it up again. Thanks to my return guest, family therapist Neil D. Brown, LCSW, for sharing his perspectives on family mental health during the time of COVID. Next week, I'll be speaking with a very exciting guest, Dr. Graham Music in the UK is author of the book, ReSpark, Igniting Hope and Joy After Trauma and Depression. I hope you'll catch fire with us. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.